Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina, board certified psychiatrist in South Florida. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey everybody, we're back on the couch. This is Dr. Delvina. Oh, the host of the Brain Love Podcast. Welcome to 2021, y'all. Welcome to 2021. This is going to be a great year. It's going to be that because we're claiming it. Just put it out there in the universe. Claim it now. Claim it, claim it, claim it. Thank you for joining me on the couch again. I really appreciate your ear and listening. And when you have downtime and time to choose a podcast, you're choosing the Brain Love Podcast. It shows in the plays and the subscribers. So I'm very grateful to you all. Listen, so I wanted to start out in 2021 helping people to cast out, to expel their demons. So tonight I'm talking about the opioid use disorder, a.k.a. opioid addiction, opioid abuse, opioid dependence. Now the new terminology is use disorder. So tonight we're talking opioid use disorder. I have Brandon Chasting on the couch with me. Pull out your phones, pull out your devices, and follow him on social media now. He has a YouTube channel, uh, Brandon Chasting, and he's on Instagram as B as in Brandon dot McFly, M-C-F-L-Y underscore. We're talking how he became addicted to Percocet. Okay, and um, it's important. We know in 2016 that 11 and a half million people self-reported that they had personally misused prescription opioids during the previous year. So this is an important discussion to have. About 40% of those prescriptions were obtained through a doctor, typically one doctor. So join me on the couch right now as we discuss this. Brandon, he's very transparent. He's going to go into details on how he developed this addiction and how he kicked the addiction. And then this Thursday night, join me again. I'm talking with Richard Johnson, and we're talking about alcoholism. Uh, we are doing that on Therapy Thursday, y'all. So listen, if you don't subscribe to my YouTube channel, please subscribe now, Dr. Delvina Thomas. Follow me on Instagram, Dr. Delvina. And I'm on Clubhouse as well, so as Dr. Delvina. Hey, guys. So just like I told you, I'm talking about addiction tonight on the Brain Love Podcast. Thank you for joining me on the couch. This is your host, Dr. Delvina. I have a special guest today. His name is Brandon Chastain. He's from Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's up the road northeast. Hey, Brandon. Hey, Dr. Delvina. How are you? Yeah, what's going on, B? Happy holidays and all yo, of that happy, jazz. Yo, man, happy holidays, man. We here. We here. We here. Absolutely. So listen, guys, if you um, if you follow me on, on Facebook, well, my personal page, because I did a couple of lives with B on, um, on my personal page on Facebook, which is Vina Dahl. And you also know I have Dr. Delvina on my uh, professional Facebook page. And Brandon and I also did um, a live on Instagram and that thing was lit. We were talking about relationships, men and women, and the difference with those things. Tonight, I asked him to join me on the couch so we could talk a little bit about uh, addictions because my first Therapy Thursday in 2021, January 7th, will be um, a live to talk with Richard Johnson regarding his his battles with the demons of addiction, alcoholism, to be more specific. So, B, 
when I say to you addictions, what would you say back to me? Addiction, the word addiction. Yeah. What does that bring to mind for you? I mean, uh, um, you know, it's so many, it's so many things that I think about, but the one thing that I think about is just destroying my village, destroying my, my character, destroying my family, um, uh, control addiction is uh, you know addiction is powerful the disease of addiction is powerful so that's what i'm thinking about i'm thinking about all the things that destroyed the addiction that destroyed my family and me as a person Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah i've seen you talk a lot on um you know you have a youtube channel on your Instagram, on Facebook, you've um, been very, um, you know, just full disclosure, very transparent about um, your previous battles with addiction. Can you tell the listeners what you were addicted to? What were your your drugs or substance of choice? Um, I, I was addicted to Percocets, which is a painkiller. Um, I got shot in 2004. And um, before I left, I was in the hospital for a week. And when I finally was discharged from the hospital, the doctors stated that, you know, take these pills, these per they call Percocets, which I didn't know nothing about. They told me to take them every six hours. And when I took one for the first time, it was, it, it was super powerful. Because not only was it powerful for the pain, I was taking Percocets for the mental pain as well. And I didn't realize that until later on down the line. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in essence, you're saying you you self-medicated basically is what we, that's a term folks you'll hear a lot is self-medicating with, and you can self-medicate with all sorts of things, not just Percocets, Perks, or, Thanks. you know, Dilaudid and Zannies and bars and all that. You can self-medicate with alcohol, which I think on Thursday you'll hear from Richard Johnson that that's what he was doing. Um, and yeah, you know, alcohol. the unfortunate thing is that happens. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, B. No, alcohol is the you worst alcohol. drug. Alcohol is the worst drug of all drugs for people that don't know. Yeah. 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 And you know, it's the worst because it can cause so much damage physically and mentally. I mean, it can lead to dementia over, over years. It can lead to liver failure and people need liver transplants and it's legal. So I think that's what makes it the worst is that it's legal. There's really no... Um, there's no control over alcohol. People say, well, you can't drink until you're 21. But I mean, you know, as high schoolers, I'm sure plenty of us would were able to get access to alcohol before the age of 21. Um, but going back to to your story, this has happened a lot for folks where they go see a doctor, they go to the ER, they have an accident or something happens and a physician gives them a prescription for what we call an opiate. So an opiate is, is very similar to a drug by the name of heroin, for people who may not know that. Um, and opiates are things like the Percocet, the oxys, oxycodone. Um, so, you know, anything that has opiate contained in the pill is considered an opiate. And they're very similar to heroin, very addictive. And you're saying you had an accident and this doctor introduced you to Percocet. <laughs> And right, and um, it's sad because the doctor never told me how 
how dangerous this drug may be. You know, I'm quite sure that athletes, you know, especially athletes, you know, they break a leg or they, you know, they hurt something or they're using their mm. body for extreme measures and, you know, pain, you know, sometimes Tylenol or um, Motrin is not strong enough, right? And um, he never said, you know, this drug is powerful. Be careful. Mm. It was, yeah. it would you know, take this every six hours and that's it. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so no yeah. disclaimer, no patient education to yeah, tell no. you this is addictive. Right. If you combine this with alcohol, this could be deadly for you. So n- none of that? None of that. I didn't receive any of that. You know, um, I, I, yeah, after after that, I started to take it. It's, it's levels to being addicted to drugs, right? First, you start off by taking it mm-hmm. recreationally. But for me, it wasn't mm-hmm. for recreationally. I started taking it for the pain. Then from the pain, I started taking it for every little bit of pain. Uh, you know, my mm-hmm. two, where's the Percocet? Because Percocet, my question was, why not give us Percocets if this is the most strongest drug you can take for pain? And um, I was finding every excuse without knowing that I, I was using it as an excuse. And um mm-hmm. Then it then I started being around people that's taking it for recreational purposes, and then for recreational mm-hmm. purposes, I you know, now I'm taking it just to function. And when it got to that, so you said that began in. Oh, I'm sorry, that started right. in 2004. You said. Yeah, well, well I say 2004 is because that's the first time I've ever took a purpose. In. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So, and then how long would you say it took you to be in the thrills of addiction? You started out using it for pain, which you mentioned the doctor didn't give you any patient education, didn't give you any possible side side effects, adverse reactions, which, which would include addiction. You know, that this is highly addictive. Use it as I'm prescribing it to you. All of that should have been a part of the, the guidance. Right. How long did it take you to fall into the throes of addiction? Um, four years. Four, four years. Four years. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, for are you saying for four years you used it uh, the way four it was years. prescribed, or within those four years four you began years, to overuse it? Four years, I was using it as it for the ways of it being prescribed, and. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, my back is hurting. See, now this is the crazy part. I was actually going through withdrawal, right, when my back was hurting, mm. but I didn't understand that that was withdrawal. So mm-hmm. I was taking mm-hmm. the pills from when my lower back was hurting because that's part of withdrawal. And um, not understanding, like, that's what I'm taking it for. So I'm 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 going gotcha. through with, right I'm going through withdrawal, but I'm thinking, damn, let me get another Percocet. Because you're you know, thinking you legitimately have pain. Right, you're saying you were right. thinking you legitimately have pain, right? And you're dosing the Percocet because you're like, hey, I'm just treating my pain, but right. later you realize you had opiate withdrawal. 
Absolutely. And and it was in 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 four years of my life, my my fourth year, I which was two thousand and eight, that's when things just went it just went downhill. Mm-hmm. Um I was So you you're, you're saying after after those four years it became more about not no longer getting high, but really maintaining some sort of functioning after well, abusing it for those four years. Well, my fourth year, it became recreational. Oh, so you're so okay. You did say for four years you were using it as directed. So you right. felt like you were using it the right. way the doctor told you. Right. Did the doctor ever have you come in for follow-ups and say, listen, you've been on no. this for a year. We got to start no. transitioning you off of it. You've been on this for two years. Let's transition you off of it. Well, no, this was the thing. No, no, no cause this was the thing. I didn't understand like the way of how it works. I could have went back to the doctors yeah. and got more pills, but what I was doing now, this is the kicker. Now I'm starting to be around people that take Percocets for pain. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, I got a Percocet. I do a Percocet to knock you right out. Here you go. So this is a gift mm-hmm. and a curse because under one circumstance, it, the, the person that's giving me this Percocet is probably trying to get me addicted to the Percocets, right? Or they pro- mm-hmm. probably feel like they're doing the right thing by giving me the Percocet for the pain. It's a double-edged sword, you know, because you don't know the hearts of men. Mm-hmm. Why? Like it's like a, it's like if you come to me, Doctor Delvina, and say, "Oh, you know my tooth hurt." Wait. All right, y'all, forgive the pause. We got to take one small little break, then we'll get back on the couch and finish this discussion with Brandon Chasting. I hope you're enjoying it thus far. So wow, so like a, a tooth pain, okay. So um, you began using recreationally. How long did you use after those first four years that you used it as prescribed? You began using recreationally. And after the recreational use, um, how, how long did you use it? I'm sorry. After the four years, how long did you use it recreationally? Um, 10 years. 10 years? A decade. Wow. To war. Yeah, towards the end of my 10 years, um, it was more so functional. Like, it wasn't about fun anymore. It was about, mm-hmm. it was about using it to be functional. Right. Yeah. That's one yeah. of the things I alluded to a few moments ago and corrected my, well, you corrected me. You said, no, I was using it during those four years, the way it was prescribed. Right. After the four years, it became a recreational thing. And just like with many other addictions, especially with drugs, whether it's cocaine, heroin, um, opiates, the pain pills, towards and alcoholism too. We talked about that a little bit. Um, You know, once you get past a certain point, it's no longer about the euphoria. It's no longer about the high. Uh, As you said, it becomes more about just functioning on an everyday basis. Yes, functioning is because now your body is dependent on this drug now. And you can't move, you can't walk unless, and it's funny, right? Because when I knew I was about to get pills or I knew somebody was about to give me money or I knew 
I knew that it was a definite that I was about to get pills somehow, some way. Mm-hmm. My body would shift to okay, get up and go get it. Mm. It, it you know is or when I got locked up one time and I still went through withdrawal, but my body was saying I can't be weak. Mm-hmm. That's why I always believe everything is mental because your mental will have you doing things that that you never thought that you would ever do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I felt the withdrawal, but not when I knew that I was going to get pills or I was in danger. Yeah. So your brain pretty much gave you that rush of adrenaline. It sounds like, yeah. yeah. To, um, well, you know, if you were in danger, yeah, to keep you out of danger. But um, as you said, it was psychological. Um, yeah. Your brain knowing that having that feedback that you told yourself, well, I'm about to get it. And so your brain just went into this, uh, kicked into this thing of giving you the energy, I guess, and the the willpower to go cop, to be able right. to go and get it. Right. How bad yeah. did it get for you, Brandon? Like how, what was the max amount, the max, um, the maximum amount of milligrams that you would use in a day? Um, when you were if using I, it to get high? If I came up, like I'm talking about, if I came up on like a thousand dollars, I just so happen to come up. It can be anything. Mm-hmm. I think I can use, I could spend about $500 a day for the day on just pills alone. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. a 30 milligram, I was taking 30s. So 30 milligrams was either anywhere between 20 and $30. Mm-hmm. For one, wait, for one 30 milligram tablet, it was 20? Yes. Yeah, anywhere between that much. You know? Now it's much different. I'm hearing it costs about $70 for one 30 milligram tablet. Dang. I yeah. guess the demand has gone up. Yeah, so when a person... Up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So when a person say, you know, I just went to dope, I say, I see why. Because dope costs way cheaper. And mm-hmm. from my from what people tell me, you get the you get a stronger feel of what you're looking for in a Percocet. Mm, dope as in heroin. Dope and, yeah. heroin. Well, yeah. Yeah, well, so and this is why I'm afraid because I was taking, I would take five thirties. I can, if I had it, mm-hmm. I could take five thirties on a wake up. And these pills are super small. I could take five thirties on a wake up and don't even feel like I don't feel high. I just feel like I can function now. Mm-hmm. Um, then it will be five thirties just to say, okay, and I'm, I'm kind of like ready to get high now. Like, it's like, let me get high. Mm-hmm. And then another 530s, cause I want to get the ultimate high. Mm-hmm. And then I will mix it, I will mix it with Zannies. I don't know how I lived. I don't even know. I, I don't know. The universe must've said that the universe had to say, Brandon, you're going to live because you have to help people out here. I I, I take it that's what happened. Mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. how I live. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm listening. You said five 30 milligram tablets when you awakened each morning. That's 150 milligrams. Damn. And people, you know, listen, only people that believe me are the people that I was getting high with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I've spoken to some of my patients who have also endured or suffered um, opioid misuse or opioid addiction or opioid use disorder is what it's called now. And, and you hear that, you know, most folks who are addicted are using 100 milligrams at least, at least on a daily basis. Um, yeah. yeah but I just saw, that's all I wanted, man. After and, and towards the end of my addiction, I didn't even, I didn't care about showers. I didn't care about relationships. I didn't care about nothing but getting high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, and that's sort of, that's what we see. That's some of what we see in the criteria when we're diagnosing that. For those of you who are listening for, for the lesson here, you know, there's social dysfunction. There's an interruption and social, occupational, recreational activities. The person is given given less time to those things because of the opioid use. So um, you mentioned mi- mixing the the opiates with Xannies. Basically, that's Xanax, which is a benzodiazepine, a sedative. It is a benzo, correct. Alprazolam um, is the generic name, folks. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Um, that and and see, this is the importance of rehab mm-hmm. because I didn't know one benzos were worse than opioids. Mm-hmm. I didn't know you can have seizures. I didn't know you can die from benzos when if you try to do a cold turkey. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I, somewhere down the line, I needed, I, I started taking the benzos, the Xanax to stretch out the Percocet filling. Yeah. Cause they're both considered sedatives. They, right. they relax you. So they're very right. similar and that can happen quite commonly mixing the two. Right. And see another thing that was going on that I wasn't paying attention to, but I would, it was a lot of fake pills out there. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing. Like this is it's scary when I think about it, right? Like it's real frightening because, you know, I'm taking so many pills a day mm-hmm. and all it takes is one pill that's a fake pill. And a fake pill is not necessarily, oh, well, they put a pill together, a, a powdered pill together and they sold it as a Percocet. A fake pill could be fitting all inside of that Percocet. Mm-hmm. And that's what these guys or these women are doing nowadays. They are putting fentanyl inside of the Percocets. They're making them and they're selling them. Mm. And um, that's like the highest painkiller. I don't is, is, is it a painkiller? You can see. It is. Yeah, just, yeah, it okay. is. You're yeah, right. That's like it's the a highest. Type of opiate. The, yes, it's the highest painkiller that you can possibly receive mm-hmm. and people are dying from it left and right and I realized that when I was mixing everything you know I think I just wanted to die that's it I think that's what it was without me understanding it I understand it now but at the time 
I thought I was doing it for a better high, but I thought I really honestly think I wanted to die. So, wow. So you began mixing what? So you used for 10 years and you said the last part of those 10 years, it was more about being functional. When did you add Xanax into the mix? My last year. Last year. My last year. So you're saying you looking back, you think maybe you you were just so tired and ready to yeah. just out of here. I used to ask the universe not to wake me up. Damn. Like, yo, don't wake. I, I swear to you, Dr. Duffy, I don't wake me up. One, because now I got to start all over. Mm. Right. I got to start my process over. See, the high feels good. But when it's time to go to sleep, I don't want to wake up. Because you know because, you're gonna wake up sober, you won't be high still. You gotta you won't be go high, out, you gotta again. go through the pain, you gotta figure out who you gonna scheme, who you gonna steal from, what mm. type of criminal activities you're gonna do in order or whatever it is you gonna do. I tell mm. you, I mm. did everything under the sun besides anything gay. Gotcha. You understand? Or or you know, tell on somebody to get myself out of a gym. Mm-hmm. Other than that. I pretty much did everything else. Mm-hmm. And I I got to the point where I was getting tired of it. Like, damn, I got to do this shit all over again. Oh, man, I didn't use this person. I didn't lie to that person. I didn't mm-hmm. think, man. Mm-hmm. Do you next? think any of those people knew, like family or close friends that you were using? Did Do you think they suspected it's, it? It's so deep because... You know, at the time that my father was living, I used to buy pills off of him. Mm-hmm. So I was surrounded with family members that's just lost mentally. Mm-hmm. It was like a, it, it was like they would talk about you if you went outside extreme measures to get the pills. Mm-hmm. But if you was just doing it recreationally, or you you seemed like you had just shit together. Mm. Then they wouldn't talk about you. So like being a functional alcoholic, a functional yeah. addict. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Like, yeah, like, you know, they doing their thing, but they still pay their bills. You know, and, and, and it's more, I was surrounded with people with more mental health issues than anything. So it wasn't, it, it, it's, it's a norm. It's regular. Mm-hmm. These things are regular. It wasn't like one of those things where you around this one person and they like, yo, y'all need to get y'all shit together. No, everybody is going through something. A person Mm -hmm. may smoke cigarettes back to back. Mm -hmm. Another person may drink. Another person is just living off of the state. They don't do nothing but create babies all day. Like this neighborhood was Mm -hmm. filled with just issues. Yeah. Yeah. And then my mother's side, my mother's side, she passed away and she passed away from, she had a heart attack and that's due to drug addiction. Mm-hmm. That was due to drug addiction. And my, and that side of the family going through things too. So I was, it wasn't like I was, the only person that was there for me was my last two kids' mother, my girlfriend at the time. Mm-hmm. She was there for me heavy. Did she know that you were struggling with addiction? Yeah, of course, of course, because I put her through it. I I, I put her through a lot. Mm-hmm. I put her through a lot. I'm talking about a whole lot, man, a lot. 
And, you know, but she was there for me. She was the reason, she was the reason why I went to rehab besides myself, mm -hmm. you know? What you just described, um, you described what I would call nature and nurture. So addiction can be definitely passed on um, from one generation to the next, especially alcoholism. But um, we do believe there's an addiction gene. Um, and so, you know, I'll have some folks who tell me, I know my family's got a lot of alcoholics. So I don't dare touch. I don't drink alcohol, period. I won't touch it because uh, they've seen so many bad things growing up. You know, father come home drunk and beat the mother's ass or beat the kids in the household and, you know, just do all sorts of things as a, a result of being drunk all the time. And then, um, you know, you mentioned your surroundings, your environment, and uh, that has that has a strong impact on the decisions we make and what we consider to be the norm, you know, the things that you grow up around and the things that you see in it, you just normalize it because that's your life. And when you don't see anything else outside of that, it's hard to really imagine that there's much more, which I, I want to put a plug in for social media. Because as much as people talk about social media and Facebook and Instagram being a, a factor or a cause of depression, I think it's also been an inspiration for people because people are able to see that there's so much more out there. You know, they're able to live vicariously through other people's experiences, see people in other countries and other states, damn it, really. There are some people in America who've never even been off the East Coast or never left Pennsylvania, or never left Maryland. You know, I have friends and associates who never left Maryland. So as much as social media can depress a person or make someone feel like they have less, you can use it as a way to inspire you because it shows you what else exists. So I'm glad you talked about that and described your environment. I definitely, I definitely agree to that because, you know, after... After going into rehab, right, when I went into rehab, I said to myself, at first I didn't, I, I didn't want to stay, because, but then I heard, I heard them coyotes, right? I said, I'm keeping my black ass in rehab because they are not going to be making them damn sounds when they got me for food, you understand? So I kept myself in there and I said, you know what? I'm going to be the top motivator and a sober messenger on social media. I'm going to give people something that they've never seen before. And drug addiction is worse than a pandemic to me. Because even when this COVID-19 stuff is over with, yeah. where is the vaccine for drug addiction? Yeah. Right. And if it is a vaccine, right, but it is a shot that you can take or whatever the case may be, uh -huh. but it's a dependent shot. Uh -huh. You could take suboxins, you could take um, methadone, you could take, I forgot what the shot is called, to keep you to keep yourself off of opioids. Uh -huh. But then that's an that's an addiction. So me being transparent on social media helped out so many people. Yeah. Because it's a scary thing to admit that you have a problem. And I had to put in my brain that I would rather laugh at you because I need help than to laugh at I would rather you laugh at me because I need, I'm getting help mm -hmm. than to laugh at me because I need help. Mm 
Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I got to pick and choose a battle. So the battle is laugh at me because I'm getting help now. But when I get out, eventually, you're not even understanding that you normalize this trauma and you need help too. Mm-hmm. And when I break and when I break down scenarios of drug addiction, people don't understand it until I break it down. So for instance, real quick, a lot of people don't know that they're committing suicide and they don't even they can't they can't articulate that. Mm-hmm. They don't know that yo, you really want to die, but you're afraid to say this is what you yeah. want to do. I want to die. Yeah, they lost the will to live. They they right, you know, or or you know, people use drugs so they don't go crazy. Because I wasn't again, I wasn't taking Percocets for the physical pain anymore. Now mm-hmm. I'm taking it for the mental pain. Me being me being uh, mentally abused, me being physically abused, mm-hmm. me having two parents that were on drugs and they had me at a young age. The trauma, everything that I went through growing up, and me putting myself through things and putting children of mine through things. So now if I'm sober, I'm in my head. Mm-hmm. When I'm not sober, I'm not giving a fuck no more. Like, yo, good. Thank you. I needed to get high. So, cause I either, I'm either going to go crazy or I'm, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And this is, yeah. Uh, glad you mentioned that, you know, cause I, I've spoken to, Patients in the hospital where they overdose, you know, they say it's an accident, it's inadvertent, but they overdose. And there's some people who tell me, fuck it, I was getting hot. I didn't care if I died or not. Right. Just life becomes about chasing that high. It comes about trying to feel functional again. Um, And, you know, I think it's hard for a person not to experience sadness or depression during their bout of addiction. Because, you know, you're always in a persistent state or um, there's always a persistent desire mixed in with unsuccessful efforts to cut down. Because I think most people who are who become addicted and it becomes a severe case, I think they want to quit. They get to a point where, you know, you tap out all of your receptors because when we're getting high, we're trying to produce that dopamine. That's the feel good chemical. Yes. But at some point you burn that shit out. You burn it out. Your brain just cannot keep up with it anymore. You keep feeding this stuff to produce the chemical and then the brain loses the ability to make the chemical. And that's why people who have suffered from addiction for so long, once they become sober, sometimes it's hard for them to really feel that natural euphoria that you can feel from life when you're doing things like um, you know, just having regular old usual fun, hanging out with friends and family, being in love, um, you know, just the whole process of life, the good part of the parts of life, you know, so it becomes more difficult for them to, to feel content and y- you have to give it time. So if you're someone you're listening and you're going through this, or you're considering, um, sobering up, do it is it's worth it. Just remember, you got to give yourself time. You got to give your brain an opportunity to bounce back. It's just like people who are overweight and they decide they want to lose weight. Well, you didn't become obese or overweight overnight. You know, it was a process. It was a gradual process. And then you got obese or over, you became overweight. So the process of losing, of losing those pounds, it, it's going to be a process to lose those pounds as well. 
Um, and so, yeah, people get to a point where they just lose the desire to live. They no longer want to live anymore because of the, basically the challenges in getting high and trying to get high. Now, I, you, you mentioned Suboxone and some other things. Um, yeah, I won't go into that on this podcast. I really just wanted okay. the real life experience of, um, and so that's why I'm not, you know, I'm not going to uh, go down that path, but. So you go to rehab and was this an outpatient rehab? So the kind where you went and then you went home each no, day. No, I needed, no, I needed inpatient. Yeah. I needed inpatient. Man. Now were you court ordered or you did this voluntarily? No, I did this voluntarily. And, and that's the scary part because when you go in there, right. Mm-hmm. You have some guys that are court ordered, but they are not really in there to, to, to receive help. No, they just court so order. The, yeah, so for those who are going to rehab, you may come across these type of guys. Mm-hmm. But I came with a different demeanor. I mean, you know, everybody don't have the same demeanor as me. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, not you being was, a tough guy, came, but I demanded you, you, respect. You came ready to win. You came ready to get clean. Came you ready came ready to, to stay win. sober. Gotcha. I came ready excuse me i came right thank you so when i Mm -hmm. didn't care about being a teacher's pet i didn't care about asking a thousand questions because the first thing that they said was you know i seen people in there Mm -hmm. that were 60 70 years old Mm -hmm. and i'm not talking about one or two talking about 10 15 Mm -hmm. and they stated you know, they've been in rehabs 20 times. Mm. Automatically, I'm not looking at myself as I'm better than them. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at myself like I'm not doing that shit. Mm-hmm. If I got to come back, I'm coming back. But if I don't got to come back, I'm not coming back. I'm, I'm coming back to be reminded or I'm coming back to let people know it feels good on the outside. Yeah. And you said something about that natural high piece. I feel that natural high. Good. I'm talking about, I can't explain how it feels to be sober. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to use the right words for it. But what I can say is that when you find you, then you're going to say the same thing I'm, I'm saying, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. You got to see being on drugs for so many years, I was afraid of being me. But once I found me and mm-hmm. I got comfortable in my own skin with being me, that natural high feels different, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. It By hurts the in way. the beginning, but it feels good. Yeah. By the way, in 2004, how old were you? 22, I think. Yeah. And, and when you went into rehab, you were what? Like your early 30s? Three years ago. Okay. So I'm 39 now. Gotcha. I was about 36. And how, how long did you stay in rehab in that inpatient residential days. rehab? 30 days. Was that long enough for you? Yes, it was. Okay. Because I got to under, I was able, again, you're not going to be receptive to anything if you're not willing to go through the process of healing. 
That's like that's like a person. That's like a kid with braces, and the braces hurt in the beginning, and they keep picking with it, and that's so you know they take it off, and now you still got crooked teeth. No, what you need to do is go through the process. The process is hard, but you know I, you have to transfer the energy. Well, it was hard for me to get up and see who I was going to scheme for my next pill. So now I got to do the same thing for healing. And mm-hmm. once I was able to heal, now I'm receptive to change now. Mm-hmm. I am receptive to under, I'm receptive to me being me. Because when you when you when you get sober, now you got to look at the harsh reality. Mm-hmm. The harsh reality is you hurt people. Yeah. The harsh reality is when you were doing super good, you missed that time. Mm-hmm. So now you start thinking about 14 years of my life was oh my god i wasted 14 years that hurts Mm. but you're going to get through it if you really want it though you got good pain and you got bad pain the bad pain was me suffering from addiction the -hmm. good pain is like working out once you get that good workout in in the beginning it's hard but then once you go home and you take your shower and you relax you feel good yeah that's good pain and this is rehabilitating yourself from drug addiction is great pain. Mm. That's the pain that feels good. Well, have you been able to repair those relationships? My daughter, let's start off with her. Mm-hmm. My daughter, I have four children. My daughter, my oldest daughter is 16. When I tell you that I put my daughter through the most pain out of all four of my children, and for us to be back, like I never missed a beat, that's in, that's that's mind blowing to me. Mm-hmm. My kids' mothers, all three of them, are like you're the man. Like you are the man. Everybody's happy. It's no arguing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a few friends. My best friend, he's fighting cancer right now. And I have another best friend. We all were best friends. My other friend is doing life in prison. I wasn't able to be there for them in their time of need in my 14 years because of my addiction. Mm-hmm. But I'm there for them now. And they understand. Uh, I have a few people that I heard that I really don't talk to every day, but I've jumped on my platform and apologized so many times. Gotcha. Do you feel like that could be you in prison? You said you have a good friend who's serving life in prison. Yeah. yeah. To that being you with everything you were. Yeah. Yeah. That could have been me in prison. All it took was one false move. Yeah. I, you know what I'm saying? It could just one false move, and I could have been in prison. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, it sounds like your kids are very grateful that you've been spared, that the yes. universe spared you, that your higher powers spared you, gave Absolutely. you back to your family. I'm a true believer in in energy, and once your energy, and once your energy. It doesn't, energy doesn't care about negative or positive. Mm-hmm. What energy cares about is what you give put out there. Mm-hmm. So if I put out negative energy, the energy, the, the, the universe is going to feed off of it. Mm-hmm. If I put out positive energy, the universe is going to feed off of it. If I put out a balance, 
the universe is going to feed off of it. Mm-hmm. So I knew for the children that I created, they needed me. Yeah. Genetically, they just need me. And now I got them. And my daughter, let me tell you something about my daughter. When I say we talk about everything, we have, listen, it's not one thing we ain't mentioned. Mm-hmm. You're my daughter. I created you. But it's, I, it didn't, for people that are listening, it didn't happen overnight. I had to earn my love, my respect, my honor, my trust. It had to, I couldn't come in there saying, I'm your dad, listen to me. Now I could say it. Now if she'd say something that get on my nerves, I can mm-hmm. yell at her. Mm-hmm. But before, I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, once, once, I, once, we, once we got it under control, and it's like, no, this man is here. He's here to stay. Mm-hmm. No, you're, now she called me daddy. Now she tell me that she loves me. Like those are soft words that we don't think about. Before it was like dad, dad. Like that's so bland to me. Mm-hmm. All kids call their father's daddy at a certain age. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's more of an emotional connection. Mm-hmm. At least that's how I feel. Yeah. Now she tell me she loved me. Mm-hmm. Before she wasn't telling me she loved me. So that made, that made my heart warm, man. I'm not using women no more. I'm not even like out here like trying to be a womanizer or manipulate women anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like it just feels good, man. It feels good to be to be authentic. <laughs> yeah, to be authentic and healthy, and making and, oh, healthy yeah. choices and decisions. Oh, and I'm yeah. disease free, and I'm disease free, and that can get you caught up too. Yeah, when you out there on them drugs, I'm telling you this right now. Yeah, being absolutely HIV, herpes, and so on and so forth disease free can definitely yeah 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 i saw you on your on the instagram the other day you were getting a a, you were getting tested and and you said uh you posted again after that and said i wasn't being tested for covid i was getting i was doing my due diligence and taking care of my stds my sexually transmitted diseases getting tested for all of those things yeah about that a lot of people when they're addicted and they're just getting high all the time to make bad decisions. You know, they have unprotected sex. So they share um, some type of, um, you know, paper or glass or whatever it is that they're using to get high. Let me speak on this real quick, Dr. Delvina. Pardon me for cutting your wisdom. No, no, no. I've never, I've never heard of this until I went in rehab. When we sit in groups in the meetings, right? And there's meetings all day long. Mm-hmm. When it's time for a person to share, I never thought that this was true, where a guy is selling his body for drugs to another man. Mm. And and can you see me? Can yeah. you see me? All right. yeah. A guy is selling his body uh, to another man for drugs. Now, before I could have been ignorant and laughed. But now when I was in there, I said, this is real. Mm. I heard a guy say, not only did he not only, and it's a lot of, it's a lot of people out there that will use your vulnerability, use your, your sensitivity and your, and your addiction for Mm -hmm. their pleasure. 
and addiction takes over you. It's powerful. It make you do things that you never thought that you would do in a million years, okay? Mm -hmm. The worst thing that I've done was use my children on a platform to get drugs. That was like the worst that I've done. Mm -hmm. But I heard men say, you know what? That man wanted me to suck his dick, so I did it for drugs. That man wanted to have sex with me, so I did it for drugs. Guess what? That mm -hmm. man wanted... That man wanted me and my drug addict girlfriend to join him sexually, so I did it. Mm. These things, if, you, if you're ignorant mm -hmm. and you think that it can never happen to you, you're going to laugh at it. Mm -hmm. And that's one, of, that's one of the reasons why I'm afraid to go back out there. Because one, I'm going to get back, I'm going to get on dope, I'm not going to get on pills. I'm gonna go straight for dope. I already have that in my mind. So since I already have it in my mind, what's overpowering that is I'm not going out there. And two, ain't no telling what the hell I may do for this drug. Mm -hmm. So in order for me to stay where I'm at, I gotta keep reminding myself that I am a recovering addict and I gotta to continue to help people that need help. So mm -hmm. I don't get out there doing some dumb shit. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. That sounds perfectly stated, man. Yeah, yeah people will wow. sink to their, their lowest low when they they're dealing with, the, with addiction. Yes. Now, I, I do, I have a, another question or two for you. The first question yeah, is yeah, how... Yeah. How are you remaining sober? Do you have a sponsor? Do you go to AA or NA? Any of those things? So, that's a great question. So I found my high. You know, when you find you, when, when, when the difference between a career and a job is like the job is you got to do it to make mm -hmm. ends meet. Your career is something that you love to do every day. You don't get tired of it. Mm -hmm. This is, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is, this is, this is you. This is your creativity. This is your, your gift. I mm -hmm. found my gift. Mm -hmm. I found, I found me. So that's, that helps me stay sober. I go out there helping people. I'm talking to people every day. Mm -hmm. um, I do, you know, creating skits. Um, uh, just chasing my dream. I transferred that energy from chasing pills to trace, chasing my dream. Gotcha. I don't have a I don't have a sponsor, but I'm a I'm a big believer in uh, uh, counseling mm -hmm. because it's more to it than just saying I'm off of drugs. Now you still okay. You're off of drugs, the addiction part, but you still have to fix the mental health issues so mm -hmm. it won't revert you back to going on drugs. Yeah. You don't need those triggers for relapse, man. You don't need, and, and, and triggers are real. I, I mean, we get them all the time. Some are worse than others. They get smaller as, as you get, as you, you know, grow mm -hmm. with your, with your, um, with your recovery. But for the most part, man, um, I do go to NA meetings and I like to be around um, recovering addicts because it's a reminder. You're not, you we can we can get cocky sometimes like recovering addicts can get cocky 
-hmm. And it's like, you know, huh, I'm here. Yeah, I could take a little drink. I, as long as I ain't doing my drug of choice. No, mm -hmm. I have to be reminded that you're not cocky. You're not powerful than the disease of addiction. Be around some people that are coming back. Mm -hmm. Be around some people that got them years in. Be, be, have that energy around you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if a person say they want to follow the 12 steps, I don't, I don't knock it. I just don't follow it. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Now folks are probably asking, how did you navigate the system to get into an inpatient 30 day rehab? Cause one of the things, um, I would say some of the barriers are access to care for mental health treatment. And that includes sure. for addictions. So yeah. You know, at the end of this podcast, guys, I'm going to I'll give you the resources and uh, some of the pages you can go on to start your search um, for a facility. You're in Philadelphia. How did you yeah. how did you access care in Philadelphia? So like I told you earlier that my kid's mother, she um, I lived in New York for 10 years and New York, uh, to be honest with you, is like easy. It's super easy to get medical than it is in Pennsylvania to me wow. i don't know why but yeah so um once you know I, I i just called the health plan and once i called the health plan i jumped on that insurance and then i went to a a, a facility called arms acres okay so it's you like, had health yeah. insurance and you used your health insurance to uh, yeah yeah i okay. called in new york i didn't have it at that time i had to mm -hmm. you had to add it you know, had to yeah Get a so once I add, yeah. So once I did that, then um, man, Arms Acres, man, shout out to Arms Acres, man. They they came and got me. They like, no, we we like to come get people. Mm. Yeah, to make sure your ass make it to yeah. that treatment. Make facility. sure your ass make it to. And when uh -huh. I looked up, I said, "Yo, where the fuck am I at?" Man, I'm hearing this coyote. Well, at the time I didn't know about coyotes, but I was hearing it was um, what's those little skinny cats? What? But they, I don't know. But they they big, but they skinny cats. They look like skinny lion or tigers or well, not tigers. Uh, I should look know like this. Skinny, I don't know, but I was up. Where? In well, where were you? What state? Where were you in Pennsylvania? I was in New York. I was New in York. New York. Okay. Upstate New York somewhere. Upstate New York somewhere, man. And there's some skinny little lions. I'm talking about they big though. And, but they like skinny and big. Mm -hmm. uh, and tall rather. They, they look like regular cats, but taller cats. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I said, what? Yo, this shit is crazy. Then when I heard about the coyotes, I'm like, nope. Let me just keep my ass in here, man. Gotcha. All right. So you did what it took to stay there and finish. Graduate. Shout out to the coyotes and them cats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shout, Shout out to you, Brandon, up. for sharing your story about sobriety. And uh, you kind of mentioned some of the things you're doing to stay clean, and that is avoiding triggers, uh, avoiding substances that could lead you back to what was your substance of choice, that being opiates. Yeah, man, we got to eat healthy, too. That's mm -hmm. another thing, because when I first, when I first, in my first year of recovery, I ate, I ate so bad. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about, man, it, it was like sugar 
was like something that I needed to help me stay clean at the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I would eat that. I was, I was a depressed, I depressed. I was, you know, you know how you eat with the, you know, some people don't eat, but being depressed, I was a depressed eater. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, you want to get high, let me just go eat. Gotcha. So yeah. yeah. So you were overeating to satisfy yeah. that urge. Well, and so we know eating is another way of creating dopamine. So all of those things yes. are, yeah. Drinking them damn energy drinks. Oh my mm -hmm. God. I used to drown yeah. them energy drinks. It gave me like a super high, like, man. And I'm like, mm -hmm. you know what, man? Nah, let me start eating healthy, man. You got to want it though. You That's the key. You have to want it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, motivation. And, yes. Motivation and will and, and discipline. So, yeah. and I'm glad you brought up healthy eating, guys. I'll be... Um, I'll be on live February 4th, I believe it is. It's the first Thursday in February, and I'm doing a segment on food and your mood. Ways to eat healthy, the brain love foods do you need to eat to uh, to help you out on a daily basis and maintaining your mental wellness and just overall being healthy. So I'll be, uh, I'll be promoting that. But um, thank you, Brandon, for joining me on the couch tonight. I really appreciate it as usual. You know, and, and listen, guys, we're both Brandon and I are both in Clubhouse. So get on Clubhouse, follow us. I'm sure we'll be doing some things soon in Clubhouse so we can have more discussions and dialogues about. I mean, it could be about addiction, but also just about relationships, men and women. Yes, a lot of relationship, a lot of relationship topics. <laughs> yeah. All righty. So thanks again, Brandon. I appreciate your time and your energy. Oh, thanks for having me, Dr. Delvina. Thank you for doing all that you do. All right. Absolutely. And give folks your handle so they can follow you on your YouTube channel. Subscribe to his YouTube oh. channel, guys. Follow him it's, it's on Brandon, Instagram. It's hmm. Brandon Chastain on YouTube and uh, B.MCFLY underscore on Instagram. All right, y'all. And All of right. course, um, I follow him as well. So if you can't remember, just come on to jump on any of my pages. I subscribe to his YouTube channel. If you come on my YouTube channel, Dr. Delvina Thomas, you'll see that he's one of um, the channels I subscribe to. So everybody have a good Sunday night. Brain love. <laughs> Brain love. So guys, thank you for joining me on the couch again. I did not want to leave you without resources. I think one of the things you can do if you have a family member, a friend, or a, an associate, or if you yourself, if you're suffering with any form of addiction, start first with the SAMHSA website. SAMHSA is the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. That's S-A-M-H-S-A. -S -S -A. Again, SAMHSA. S as in substance, A, abuse, and mental health, MH, services administration, SA.gov, GOV. So visit that site and you'll see information about finding treatment. There's also um, some national hotlines there. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is there, 1 800 273 TALK, 1 800 273 8255. Also, the National Helpline, which is just if you're in crisis, not necessarily suicidal, you can call 
help 1-800-662-4357. So click on find treatment and that should help you to begin to navigate. The other option, of course, is if you have health insurance, you can call your plan and tell them that you're looking for treatment. Tell them what type of addiction you have and they should be able to point you in the right direction. If you don't have health insurance, if you live near a big city, and hell, actually, even some of the smaller cities have programs for folks who are uninsured. Here in South Florida, we have uh, BARC. That's in Broward County. B is in Bravo. A-R-C is in Charlie. Um, and also the uh, South Florida Behavioral Health Network, uh, which is now they have a new name, and I'm blanking on, on the name. But they can also assist in um, helping someone to find treatment who does not have insurance. The best, the next best way I would say is to call your emergency room, call the ER and ask to speak to the case manager or social worker on call or on duty. I would call during the week and during business hours because they're not working 24-7. They're not there typically on the weekend. And tell that person, hey, I have an addiction. I need help finding a program. So I hope this has been helpful for you. Please pass this on and share this episode so other folks can receive help and expel their demons. It's the end of an episode. Thank you guys for joining me on my couch. It's been a pleasure. It's Dr. Delvina. Remember, every day you must have brain love. Balance. You can't have all work and no play, and you can't have all play and no work. Reframe. Reframe your negative thinking. Think positively. Avoid negative people. Inside, everything you need, it's inside of you. Look inside yourself. Needs. Know your needs. Your needs come first, not everyone else's. Limitations. Limit your expectations of yourself. Ownership. Own your mistakes, learn from them, and move on. Vengeance is not yours. It's the Lord's. Express yourself. Every day, meaningful communication. Don't go to bed angry. And that's been my show, guys. Brain love.